Welcome to episode 72 of Running Matters. My name is Matt North. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Hadfield. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Day off today. Yeah. Looking after the girls, as you can see. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah. too. <laughs> our special guest today is Tom Landon-Smith. Thanks for giving up your time today, Tom. No worries, Matt. I'm, I've got a day off too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Actually, I've got the rest of the year off. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. We'll get on to that later. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that. Before, uh, before we get into it, I'd like to thank our partners, Goo Energy, Ranella, Sydney Brewery, Sydney uh, Guymere Allied Health, Base Camp Altitude, T8 Run, Precision Hydration and Fractal Performance Headwear. Okay, so... Tom, you, you're still competing, I believe, before um, before the virus hit. You were down at competing in Kraken back February, March, before before COVID. Is that right? Geez, you dug that out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't call it competing anymore. I'd just have a dabble. But, yeah, no, we, we, we did a couple of events in February and, and March. The Shri Chima Multisport was on in March. Late, uh, mid, early March, and the the cracking back, the tree X was um was on it. When was that? End of Feb. <clears throat> yeah. I'm gonna say yes, but I've got no idea. Yeah. So they were they were on the they were dicey with the fires, but you know they got them in all right. Um, and that was well before <laughs> anything anything like we're experiencing now happened. So it was well. Yeah, it wasn't on anyone's minds. No. What, what, what about your boys? Do they compete too? They get involved? Yeah, yeah they, they, they went in the mini triathlon, which was a bit short for, for them. They're, they're sort of endurance guys. They're eight and, and, and 11. Um, yeah. they, they love mountain biking, love cross-country skiing and downhill skiing. Um, yeah, yeah. But we all, I mean, we all... I, I, I grew up doing, I guess, adventure, just running on trails and, and um, riding and swimming and kayaking and every, everything, orienteering. So our whole lives have revolved around adventure. Um, and, and so that's what we love doing, just all those, we'd love doing any sport um, as long as it's outdoors. Yeah. yeah. Had a uh, particular yeah. focus with the cross country skiing there, Tom, and um, yeah. I believe you're in line for a potential Olympic selection back in the early 90s, mate. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I was on the national junior team in from about 95, uh, sorry, from 85 through to 89, and um, went to my first senior world championships in 89 in Finland in Lati. And then went to two more world championships, and I, I was on the squad for the Olympics in in um, both Albertville and Lillehammer, and, and and wasn't in the final team, so um, just missed out on selection. Alina was as well; she was in in the team for for um, the squad for Albert for um, Lillehammer in Norway in '94. So yes, yeah, skiing was skiing was awesome. Cross country skiing, I used to dream of it. In sitting in school, I'd just be doing mental rehearsal in my in my head that I was skiing with perfect technique. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing skate there. <laughs> Paul, Paul's bobbing his head side to side <laughs> skating. Uh, <laughs> I loved classic skiing. Um, 
Well, I like both disciplines. There's two disciplines in cross country, um, skating or classic. So, um, what's that? Did you go to bed with the stocks in your hands just to, to make it <laughs> easier? Well, actually, my when when we gave my he's now eleven years year old son when we gave him a set of roller skis two years ago he slept with them in his bed and I I, I was pretty proud of that um, but yeah I mean I the the beautiful thing about cross country skiing was um, well for me my experience was. Um, you can do nearly anything for training. So all those sports I mentioned before, um, make you fitter, make you stronger. It uses your whole body. It's, it's in beautiful places. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely sport. And also growing up, I mean, I was going into my, I was an early teenager when I got into it and um, used to just love coming home from school, eating five bowls of wheat bix or cornflakes, honey, and and sitting while I ate that, watched cross-country ski videos <laughs> and then, then go out roller skiing for a couple of hours um, most days after school. And, and uh, you know, I just loved it. But the people I trained with were all 10 years older than me. Um, so I think that helped me get through teenage years pretty well. <laughs> so. <laughs> and had good role models. I think it's great to have, that was something that was amazing to have such incredible role models and to train with. Where, where'd you grow up? In Warunga in Sydney. Yeah, yeah okay. So we we're, were close to the bush. They were building that, um, the freeway heading to Newcastle um, in my high school years and I used to run on it and, and they'd be bulldozing the bush and, the tracks were slowly disappearing and, and, and dirt trails were appearing and then they'd get wider and wider and eventually they were gone. But we, I'd, I'd run at Bobbin Head and um, Jubilee Oval and this fire station. I'd roller ski at the fire station, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful spot. I mean, that's part of, definitely a big part of, of uh, my experience and, and obviously, most trail runners' experience is just being out in nature. Um, yes, it's pretty special. It certainly is, mate. I've got, a, I've got an early listener question just come in for you, Tom. This is from uh, Stu Rennie, 73.2. He wants to know what your VO2 max clocked at in your cross-country heyday. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> well, it's not very impressive. It was only 68. Um, oh. And uh, so the top cross-country skiers had 90. Um, it depends a bit where you measure it, apparently. Um, we were all measured at the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra. Um, but Anthony Evans, who went to three Olympics, his VO2 max was, I think it was 82. Um, and, and apparently that's pretty... It might be pretty equivalent to the 90, 92 they were measuring in some of the Norwegians in, in overseas. Um, yeah, and that was done on an arm leg bike as well, um, my, my, my VO2 max. They didn't Just, have, yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't. Oh, is that high? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was my weak point. My fitness was my, my 
my aerobic fitness was definitely my weak point. I'd probably had a high anaerobic threshold, um, but my strong points were my strength, um, muscular strength and, and technique. Um, yeah, it would have been nicer to be a bit fitter. So Justin from the text line, Dr. Ferrari said he could help you out with the VO2 max anytime. <laughs> Is that with, with EPO? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually going to mention the same thing. I probably would have been a perfect candidate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, you could have ridden for Lance for sure. Yeah. Seeing you brought it up, the whole drug thing, I, I, um, I mean, cross-country skiing was fraught with, with blood doping back then. And we used to sort of joke about it. It didn't really... You didn't really believe well he didn't really know the extent of it he just thought oh you know i don't think the italians are very clean and the russians maybe not and, but you didn't you know you didn't think of it but then you find out in 1998 uh 19 maybe 1999 they had the world championships in finland again um um and the whole finnish team got busted for for blood for well, i don't know what that busted for I think it was a masking agent for, for something. Um, the, the whole Finnish team, except one one female athlete, she didn't get busted. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, the whole team but dopes, but I don't. She got picked up the next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, then, then it's, yeah. Who knows who was on what? But interestingly, the Norwegians and the Swedes, who are the, you know, they're the top of the pile. Um, the Norwegians particularly right now. And there's never even really been rumours. There's been mild mishaps, like one of the female Norwegian top skiers in the world was busted for a steroid that she said came from a lip arm, um, which was kind of weird. And then one of the males was ODing on Ventolin. Um, and, and apparently the Norwegian, the Norwegians brought... Oh, I can't remember the stats. It was over a hundred Ventolins to to one of the last Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's funny things going, but it, there's not really any rumours of doping or for those guys, and they're the best, the Swedes and the Norwegians. Mm. Yeah. Just, just issues with asthma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, let's let's talk about Arok Sport, which you established in two thousand and three. So what's the what's the Arok an acronym for? Well, there's a few. Um, so Elena and I were living in Mount Isa. I was a mechanical engineer, and she was a lawyer. Um, we were both working for Mount Isa Mines, and we loved it out there. And actually, quite a few friends and people come from Mount Isa each year to to UTA now. Um, but we sort of got, you know, we loved the adventure out there, beautiful rivers to paddle in, um, lakes to paddle in, good running, it's nice out back. And we would do a few trips to Darwin to go bushwalking in Kakadu. Um, but but we sort of, you know, after three years in a remote country town, we got a bit, um, a bit um, itchy to go back to, back towards the main city and back to our old friends. And um, and we thought, oh, it'd be nice to have your own business. And Elena thought she'd like to set up a coffee shop. Thank God she didn't. 
Um, <laughs> I think I lead coffee shops to someone else. But um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it means adventure racing, outdoor challenges. But um, someone, I mean, I think coffee was going to be in on the end of it. I don't know. But someone, <laughs> after seeing Elena adventure race, Elena used to vomit when we'd go on adventure races. Um, and she'd just like happily walk along and then she'd just have a, have a vomit out the side and happily keep going. Are you all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so someone said, oh, does AROC stand for Alina really often chunders? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but it's but it's actually adventure racing outdoor challenges so yeah we and so we started that um we we ended up thinking we were going to drive to sydney we packed the car up in mount isa with our double mirage sea kayak on the roof and mountain bikes also on the roof of our toyota corolla and we drove to townsville and then down the coast and um and paddled at the Whit Sundays and paddled at Noosa and ran around places and we got down to Sydney and stopped at the first traffic light. <laughs> well, it wasn't the first traffic light, but got to Sydney and saw the crowd and the the number of cars on the road and the traffic and the traffic lights and we freaked out and we just kept going and we got to Canberra and went, Well, this is probably a a bit calmer than Sydney <laughs> so maybe we'll settle here. So yeah, we settled in Canberra and set up A Rock and and um, actually we went we kept going, we went down to Tassie for a holiday. And um, and Lord we went to Lord Howe Island actually after leaving as well. That whole summer we, we were in Lord Howe Island and then we went to Tassie. And we in uh, in Lord Howe Island on Alina's thirty thirty fourth birthday we, we, we decided to get up early and run every track on the island and it took us all day. And we, we got up before breakfast and finished one of the big peaks before breakfast, came back and then uh, went out and did a few more. Then at lunch, came back for lunch, then had a little sleep for half an hour and then went and ran the rest of the trails and had, had the most beautiful day. Then went down to Tassie and went in the Australian um, 24-hour Rogaine Championships there in Tassie. And we, we won that outright, which was the first time a, a, a mixed team had had won it outright and um and uh it was a bit of we were heat acclimatized from living in mount isa and we were you know a bit wise from adventure racing taking fury tabs to drink crappy water out of dams and stuff like that so yeah and then we settled in canberra set up a rock and both of us had jobs alina was working as a lawyer in in department of health and i worked at Australian National University in the engineering department for a bit, making solar cells, and um, and then slowly we just did more and more at A Rock, and 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 then that was it. That was full time for both of us. But it started with adventure races. That's all we held for the first many years was just lots of these short adventure races, a couple of twenty four hour adventure races, and a and a fifty hour adventure race. Built it up over the years you must be proud of, of what you've done the, the the two of you we um yeah we, we we had a whole lot of adventure races and um we still own 94 three person sit on top plastic kayaks on two massive trailers <laughs> they're on a friend's farm in canberra um and um 
we sort of it was your own small business as you know is really hard work and we were young and stupid in our 30s and um late 20s early 30s and you know you just work hard you don't sleep much you just you you sort of work work yourself into the ground a bit so um we ended up with two mountain bike races, one called Angry Doctor on the south coast, um, one in Canberra called Capital Punishment. Um, we had the North Face 100 that was set up with the North Face guys in Sydney. Um, and then we're still holding adventure races. And we got to the end of 2011 and I was pretty burnt out. And... Um, and uh well it was actually after the north face 100 in 2011 and i i mean elena knew it i knew it i just i i don't think i'm going to survive another year of this and we actually packed up scrapped most of our events and went to live in um park city in utah for seven months just to get away have a break and that was that was awesome um and came back and all we had remaining was um, we still had Capital Punishment Mountain Bike Race. We still had the North Face 100 and we had a kayak event on Sydney Harbour called Kayak for Kids. Yeah, so, and then Capital Punishment stopped a few years later and same with Kayak for Kids. And we were just left with the North Face 100, which we rebranded to Ultra Trail Australia in 2016. And um, yeah, and then it's 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 gone on from there. But it's but it's been huge. I mean, North Face Hundred when it started in two thousand and eight had um, one hundred and fifty entries, and and uh, we <laughs> we it's a, it was a lot of work, as anyone that organises a hundred k knows. And um, and at the end of that, I just thought oh, my God, how can we put this on um, and afford to do it properly? Like we always, one of the key things with our business was we always did the best possible job and if if we needed to make a loss on something, we just did it. We just put, put extra in um, to do the best possible job to have, you know, my key things were safety um, and fun and... Um, and that people went the right way. <laughs> so the courses were very well marked. They always have been. Um, a few people have got lost, but it's pretty rare. Um, and, um, and very high levels of safety. And, and people usually have a good time, although sometimes I know people have told me they've been singing songs about me that have had swear words in them, <laughs> 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 which is fair enough. You go through those dark times in a long race. Um, to be expected. So, so you've, you've built what was North Face in, in 2000. It started in 2008 with what you said was 150 runners. Yeah. And now, 12 years later, 8,000. Just under 8,000, yeah. With a, with a crowd of, with probably a crowd of 12,000. So yeah, it's bringing close to twenty thousand people to Katoomba now, um, and I mean we, yeah, we we took it to um, those those numbers um, right before um, Ironman 
approached us wanting to wanting to look at at working with us or buying the event and um and that was in 2018 oh i can't even remember i think in two, 2017 i think um dave beach from iron man ran the event 18 19 yeah, I think it was 2017, Dave Beach ran the event. And, um, yeah, he got in touch with me after and said how much he loved it um, and, and could we talk. And, you know, initially I wasn't interested. I was like, oh, no, this is the best. This is, you couldn't get a job better than this. Like I just get so much joy out of out of what I do. It's certainly very hard work, but... Um, but I've never had any any type of job where you get thanked and appreciated so much constantly. Um, it certainly didn't happen in holding the mountain bike races, unfortunately, because I love mountain biking. But we used to get slammed all the time. <laughs> I still don't know why. Um, before the race, during the race, after the race, it was it was it was really odd. But I, the can, tr- I can tell you why. Yeah, <laughs> roads. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <laughs> don't know but but that's always in the been in the back of my head for the trail running as well like it's every year at my race briefing i say that that i just love trail runners um because they're just such good people and i wish more of them were in in politics <laughs> was ali steggles now in politics right. um, having a hard time tom yeah i know i haven't heard from i haven't seen a skiing this year um <laughs> But, you know, it, it is like that. In, in 15, in, in 12 years, I'd had 15 less than nice um, emails or, or messages from trail runners. And that's it, in 12 years. And that's yeah. incredible. Oh, we yeah. were getting that a day in the mountain bike. Yeah. Um, Considering the, the numbers that you, you're getting, that's incredible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was phenomenal. And it's such an amazing atmosphere. You can't. You cannot beat being at, I mean, I haven't really been to any other big runs except UTMB and, and that's incredible too. Um, so I guess they're all incredible. It's just the group of people that they attract. Um, yeah. So we, we end up on a real high, like a sleepless high from, from UTA each year. Yeah. yeah. Is it, do you think it's that environment that, atmosphere that has created the momentum to get it to where it is today um you mean the, the natural environment the the trail itself oh i was well i guess it's a combination isn't it like it's a it's a wonderful environment um the blue mountains but um just the atmosphere with the people you know the the race hub um the spectators walking mm. around the whole weekend is just um, you know, it's it's an exciting place to be. It's it's yeah. everyone's in a good good mood. Um, yeah. Do you think that's what, do you think that sort of rubs off, and that's what builds the the numbers that you have today? Yeah, I, I mean, um, yeah. Number one, it's in a most beautiful place. Um, when we first started looking for a site to hold the first North Face Hundred in two thousand and eight. We were looking in 2007 and Elena and I went to, um, we actually went to Larapinta Trail and, and walked that. And um, 
we were thinking of the Heisen Trail, you know, we were looking at anywhere in Australia. And um, we, I don't know what made us jump back to Blue Mountains. We're like, this was my own backyard when I was growing up. And, and it's actually near a population centre, so it's actually kind of wise. Um, and so we went to speak to national parks and, and, um, and the regional manager back then and, and the commercial licensing um, person, they knew us from Rogaining. Um, and, um, and so, I, I, yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised that they were very supportive of, of, um, of starting a trail run up there. And actually, at the same time, Wilderness Society was starting what was called the Wild Endurance. Um, so we were both, at the same time, Wilderness Society and us looking at holding a 100k run in the mountains. Um, so we dominated them, Tom. Dominated them, no. We worked with them. We worked with Wilderness Society for a while um, on, on, the, on the event for the first four years, I think. Um, but then, yeah, the team... It's it's um yeah I the, that that event didn't take off as much interestingly I'm not quite sure why I th- I think people liked the North Face Hundred in that it wasn't a, a it wasn't a fundraiser like there's so many fundraisers and I know I get sick of hearing about them um and and you can fundraise for whoever you want if you want. And and I like, and I like keeping it like that. If like everyone's got a different interest and a different reason to raise money for some charity that's special to them, so why not let them do that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah but, the, but the environment itself, like like it, I, every time I get up to Katoomba, I just think, oh God, I, I've forgotten how nice this place is. It's I don't know if you feel like that, but it's it's yeah. um. I forget it's it's fantastic and having I really love having some climbs um the the nice 200 to 250 meter climbs that you get they're really nice I love being in the mountains and you know I'd, I'd love a one kilometer climb but there just isn't anything like that um yeah it's 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 beautiful but the, the atmosphere itself the people I actually don't know why the people, the people are, and they're nice <laughs> for, better, for want of a better word, but it's just a, it's, it's, I guess the environment sets people in that frame of mind. They're used to being in nature. So they're in touch with, with um, everything it means to be in, in, in good country. Um, the Aboriginal nature of, of the, of, of the environment. It's, it's very, very strong Gundunga country. It's very special to them. That's been um, the way we've worked together with David King and, and the Gundunga people. That's, that's something that's been very, very special to me. Um, and I think to a lot of people who come to the event, I, I often say to David King, I, I reckon people are here to, to listen to, to you, David, at, at the race briefing, because they, you know, they get so much entertainment and and you know spiritual belief from from what he has to say. Yeah, the did you do on the top of Iron Pot's pretty special there too, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool, isn't it? 
I, I wanted to head out there myself, but I'm always too busy because I learned the I learned the didgeridoo when I was when I was um, not 18. Well, we had a didgeridoo at home when I was growing up, and I used to play that. But I learned to circular breathe when I was 18. So. <laughs> Another impressive cross country uh, skiing skill, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my VO2 max could have been higher. <laughs> Yeah, and our staff, the other thing is our staff, like like over the years it's developed into this amazing group of people that love coming to work on the event and and the, the, key, the key staff that turn up at the event, you know, we've got about 30 people now um, that spend 10 days up in the mountains wow. setting it all up and organising all the logistics and, um, and setting the course and so on and so on. But... Um, and Lucas Drahey doing doing medical, setting up the ladders off Taras, off the end of Naranek. Um, he's got a big truck that moves water around the course for us, um, and various other things. Lucas, Lucas does so much stuff for us at the event, um, and he's been fabulous to work with. Um, and um, yeah, our staff, like we just have a ball that week setting up UTA, running the, running the race, and then and then cleaning up. We have an absolute ball. And everyone's, even like the highlight to that was the wet year in 2017. That was the year Dave Beach ran, ran the event. And um, that's the only time we've had to change the course. And, our, you know, our team um, really pulled together and worked so well together to, you know, make the plan um, and redo everything in, in two days. Um, yeah, I, we've got a, a guy that's worked with us for a long time, Timmy Williams, who's a Blue Mountains local, but he's moved up north um, for the last two years. But, yeah, working with Timmy and, and, and Lucas and, you know, Alina and Joe Bruschetto, who was just an incredible person to have on our team. She had such good knowledge. I think she had the, the next best knowledge of the event to me, maybe even better than me. Um, and she, you know, she was just there supporting me and, and, and the team and adding to great discussion and giving great feedback. She's just very clued up on, 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 how to organise a good event, um, and you know she was she was the last person still up with me at three a.m. on that Saturday morning before the two thousand and seventeen wet race. Um, yeah. yeah, so she's she's always always got our back. Yeah. Well, you need a good you need a good team, Dan. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And then I mean, yeah, obviously she was doing the marketing. And and the um, the communications and it's one thing to come up with the plan, but it's another thing to get that information out because um, it's got to be a hundred percent to get it out, and that's it. That's quite a tricky thing. Um, so that's why you know she just stayed with me until we had it right. It was actually it. Um, it was it was after we'd come up with the new courses and done a rough measurement and 
sat with council and parks for four or five hours that Friday to confirm everything was okay. And then, you know, had to announce what we were doing. And it was at, I think it was at 1am when I said, let's just go back and remeasure, make sure we got the distance right. And it were, I worked out we were two Ks short. We only had 98 Ks. And, and I said, I said to Joe, should we do, you know, we really need to make it a hundred, don't we? And she said, yep, absolutely. Can't be, can't be short. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's spot on with that. No one wants to run a hundred and realize it's only 98. Um, yeah. So that's where I then added in this 1K out to at checkpoint five at Queen Vic Hospital, 1K to the lock gate and 1K back. And uh, forgot to tell the runners at the on the start line because <laughs> I was like a mess. And they got, you know, the runners were getting there and being told they can't come into checkpoint five yet. They've got to do another two Ks. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit Surprise. of a Bit of a kick in the gut. I mean, that's 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 what happens when you go to the level of detail. Um, you know, everything else was, was was pretty spot on. Yeah, it was fabulous putting together that race. It's probably my most memorable event that we that we pulled that off. Yeah, and um, well, I couldn't imagine there'd be much sleep going on. Like, there'd be so much, I'd be pulling my hair out. Like, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I was pretty awesome, actually. Um, yeah. And, and that's why I say it's one of the most memorable, memorable events I've had because the team, our team was sitting around at, at, at midnight. Everyone in the team was sitting around at midnight. The course setters had just come back in. They'd just finished remarking a whole lot. The logistics guys had just come in. They'd just moved 7,000 litres of water down to the Megalong Valley. Um, and, and, you know, we're all sitting there and it was like we are having a party. It was, yeah. you know, everyone was buzzing. It was really exciting. And, and it just, being amongst a team that works like that is, is, is rare, but it, it's incredible. You never forget it when, when you're in that situation. And, and, you know, we're all laughing and having, having a good time, knowing the seriousness of it. But, you know, we're all there to have fun. Um, and it's important not to forget that. <laughs> it's funny that our timing we had a French timing guy out to help with, with the timing equipment, which I actually own. I own all the timing equipment um, because I'd seen it used at UTMB and, and seen Live Trail, which is the, the, the program that, that links to with the tracking. And I, I just, after years of trying to be safer in terms of tracking runners and, and um and seeing the UTMB system, I just straight away went, I've got to have that system and bought it. Um, 80, 80 grand worth of timing equipment which sits in our garage all year long and does one event and yeah. using live trail. So anyway, we had help with, with this French guy that came out that owned the, the, the hardware or we bought the hardware from and he came to help us. And he was there in the same room with us as we were, we were doing it. And, and after the race, we had a debrief and... He said to me, oh, Tom, I don't know how, I don't know how you do that. Um, you know, if you're going to have a headquarters, you've got to separate it from where you eat. You're, you're doing stuff in your dining room and you're eating and you're chatting and everyone is laughing. What was so funny? He just, <laughs> he just didn't get it. <laughs> you know, this is serious business. This is serious yeah. business. 
Yeah. So um, I couldn't believe that you were joking at that time. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we were part of that. We did the fifty that year, myself and Paul. Yeah. And um, it was it was great. Gave yeah. us a nice sleep in that year. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she went at the back. The fifty ended up a bit of a um a bit uh, busy on the trails in the back. Yeah. But we've I mean we've redone now. We've got we've got it's hard to plan for wet weather. Um it's hard to plan for any anything that may happen because there's so many different combinations and variables that might happen. Um, so we do have alternate courses. They are mapped and and they're in with with council and parks. Um, but, you know, can they actually occur or not? Who knows? But, I mean, this, this year in itself, the bushfires in, December, in um, October, November, December, um, 30% of the UTA 100 course was burnt. Um, mostly out Naranek, um, Golden Stairs, over Mount Tabert, Medlow Gap, right through to Dunphy's and up Ironpot Ridge was all burnt. Um, so parks got everything, everything's been um, made safe. You know, any trees that are hanging up have been, have been cleared. Um, Golden Stairs, a lot of the infrastructure was burnt out. Um, stair, timber stairs were burnt out. Um, that was all put back in place by uh, two about two months ago, um, which was a big job. And unfortunately, then Golden Stairs, I think it had only been open two weeks, and there was a landslide on it after 110 mil of rain over three days. So yeah, Golden Stairs is now closed again. <laughs> <laughs> and what sort of shape is the staircase in now? Do you know much about it, Tom? Yeah, when I've seen a photo, it's um, it's a it's a it's a it's a large section of cliff that's probably uh, it looks to be 10, 20 meters wide, um, maybe fifty meters high, and a good depth of rock, maybe three meters of rock, has just fallen away. It's it's huge. It's it's quite crazy so and that's landed on federal pass below and and below that um so yeah golden stairs is is out um but the you know the parks are keen to get it get that made safe um with whatever they have to do they're still hanging up rock around the around the around the um ball site and they'll, they'll do whatever they can to make it safe so it won't it i can Say it won't be open for May next year, and and we've got to do an alternate. But but hopefully it's open the following year. Okay. In twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty two. Yeah. So we, I mean, we've got we've got alternates for everything, um, for COVID, for landslide, <laughs> for for everything. It's it's been a, as everyone knows, it's been a hard hard slog. Um, we've had move, there's been this moving target and it's very hard to put in a exact course or exact traffic plans and all that sort of stuff. It's very hard to put that all in, um, when things keep happening. So after the bushfires, there were some floods and, um, 
there's there's stuff still closed from the floods um, up around Gordon Falls. Um, and there was other stuff closed as well that's now reopened. So the main the main thing now is the is the landslide um, on the on the Golden Stairs. Yeah, there's a bit around the Lure Cascades as well that <clears throat> got got damaged from from the floods back in February or March. But those floods came; they they basically put the fires out when it when it started raining. Within two weeks, there were those floods um, after the fires finished, and they damaged the course further. They damaged the area further. That's mm. right. Uh, we, we knew about it with six foot track, that's for sure. That was yeah. just one more example for the year. So, oh. what, um, what was the, I guess, the eventual final nail in the coffin for the October date this year, Tom? Yeah, so it just, well, it just got, it's just got too close. So, there was just no, no good news coming. Um, we'd already applied for, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll come back to this, but we'd already applied for the exemption to be able to hold a, a, a gathering with over 500 people. Um, and that was rejected, but it wasn't, no way you can't do this. It was just like, right now you can't do this. So we just thought, let's wait and see if we get good news and put it in again. And then, you know, you get to the, to work out the cutoff date, it's a hard call, like, you can look at how much money you're going to be spending by a certain time. You've got to consider how much the runners are going to have to fork out. If you, do, if we make a call a week out, everyone's going to lose their accommodation and travel. And so it was a balance of wanting to look after the people, the runners, so that they're not out of pocket for other costs um, on top of the entry fee. Um, and for us, for us as an organisation as well, so yeah, it just got it just got to the point. I mean, yeah, going back to the word exemption, you probably followed. There was a there was a um, a post about what was happening and the fact that um, we were going to refund or we we're going to transfer everyone who's international. We we're going to transfer their entry to two thousand and twenty one. Um, and we're going to do the same for the interstate runners um, because the borders, even though we thought they may open, um, we just wanted to put people at ease. And so we left it as basically a New South Wales event. And, um, yeah, my my 15 less than nice um, <laughs> messages in 12 years <laughs> turned into about 400 in one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it did a bit and I kept I kept don't you worry anyone listening to this don't worry because the whole time I was thinking it's not their fault everyone's in fear um you know there's fear everywhere we look there's fear on signage in government signage in 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 health there's just fear message in the media it's everywhere and and I don't blame anyone for responding like that at all um I think it's it's a it's been a full on year. So um, we just um, but apparent but I think people were arcing up over the word exemption. You know, the common theme was <clears throat> the message was about that there's a current allowance to have a, an event with 500 people. I don't even know if that's still the same right now. 
um, but we're applying for an exemption. And that's just what it's called with the New South Wales Health. Um, Scenic World can operate. Scenic World have been operating um, for a couple of months now and um, they, can, they can have over 2,000 people throughout the day visit Scenic World. So it was a similar thing for us. And we've, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a bit of a shame. Um, we obviously had things in place. We had a COVID safe plan. Um, we, we are moving, we're moving the start of the 22 and the 11 to KCC Oval where the car park is traditionally. And the same for the 50 and 100, they won't start at Scenic World, they'll start on KCC Oval. The reason for that is we can't have buses to bus, to do bulk movements of people to the 22 and the 11 starts um, because of having to isolate people. We would need two to three times the number of normal buses, which actually isn't, it's not only cost prohibitive, it's actually not possible because there aren't enough buses up in the mountains. Um, and the oval as a marshalling area allows us to distance people, you know, waiting for their starts. So, um, yeah, we had all that in place. That hadn't been put to the runners though. So yeah, the comms is, the comms is tricky, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's, um, if it was just me, having full ownership of UTA, I, I would have released all that information. However, Ironman's a larger business, larger corporation. Um, they have multiple events around the world. They're dealing with, they're dealing with, you know, this, this situation and trying to get an event up anywhere they can. And, and if, if they can't get it up, we're all in, we're all in, in the poo. Um, so, um, but, but it just means that communications, you know, fortunately or unfortunately has to be approved um, going up the line. It has to be approved in head office. There has to be legal taken into account. You know, the things are, things are just much slower. So, yeah, that's, that's where that, that's at. But, but, you know, everyone's happy with the decisions made. Um, there was lots of people very supportive of, of, of everything. Um, and, you know, it's still a happy, happy, lovely crowd of people. And ho hopefully bring on 2021 May so we can have the event. Bloody yeah. 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 yeah, we might go to a few listener questions because we've got a, a ton of them. And the first one's from Lisa Kay. And she said, is there a time frame... Um, on you being the race director of UTA now that um, that Ironman's taken over. Oh, Lisa, that's a good question. Um, the um, I I'm definitely race director for next year. Yeah, and and we haven't got any further to discuss the future after that. It's just been yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely on the next year's race director. Yeah. Good enough. Um, we, sh we should talk about ha happier, happier times in UTA, I guess. Like the, yeah. the past has been some spectacular stuff. Can I ask you what you uh, what you consider the most impressive performance in the UTA hundred over the years? Oh, gosh. Um, 
the most impressive performance. I mean, I as soon as you said that, my gut feel was Brendan Davies um, popped into my head. Um, um, but 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 then my mind's ticking over, and you know, the the fast run that year with with Dylan Bowman um, and Scotty Hawker coming in second. Um, yeah, but I mean, Brendan winning it, winning it a couple of times. I still remember him the first time finishing North Face 100 first at Fairmont Resort and, yeah, and, he, and he dropped down on the ground. Um, yeah, and having, having, I guess what set the event off was having all the Salomon crew come in uh, 2011, I think. Yeah. 2011 when Killian Jornay ran and Andy, and Andrew Lee, Andrew Lee took took him on in the first leg. <laughs> um, our forerunner, which is actually one of the course setters, Dave Meyer, was out just forerunning that first leg when um, when Killian and, and and Andy came across. And Dave just sort of, I think he looked behind him and he's going up Golden Stairs, so he basically done the last critical junction and checked it. And he tripped over and went down. And both Killian and, and Andy Lee stopped and said, are you okay? <laughs> How good is that? Um, yeah. Well, Killian didn't say, are you okay? He said, are you okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you look at the first, the first year with a mate of mine, Andy Cromer from Cross Country Skiing, um, He's a he's a ranger down at down in Victoria at Falls Creek and that area. Um, he came and ran it and he he won that year and and um, and then the next year Andy Lee, Andrew Lee won. Um, yeah, we've had lots of. It was always good having Ryan Sands out. Yeah, even though I was calling him Ryan Sanders for years. I and still then, do. Do you? Well, I said to him one day, I said, gee, it's funny. No one can get your name right. Everyone's calling you Ryan Sands. And he looks at me and goes, oh, that's my name. <laughs> I can't, oh, don't. Uh, I thought it was Sanders. And I also want to mention the girls. Um, going back in history, there was, you know, Heather Logie won the first event. And then there was a, a battle between Beth Cardelli and um, Julie Quinn for years. Um, Julie Quinn's performance in 2011 when the Salomon runners came out was pretty amazing. She, she actually won with amongst all these heroes. Um, and then more in more recent times, we've had, you know, Kelly Emerson's amazing, amazing run, very fast time. And, and no one would ever forget Lucy Bartholomew's win on her 21st birthday. Um, that was, that was really special seeing that. Um, and, and, you know, wonderful, again, one amazing group of people, wonderful athletes. Um, we've been very blessed. Um, and then on the, on the other end, um, I've got to mention Alf Johnston who, who comes in every year carrying a card that says never give up. Um, if we were able to hold the event this year. How old is Alf now? 77 or 78? 70. 
I might be adding a year to him, but he's something. He's getting up there, but you know he was going to run this year, so hopefully he'll be back this back next year as well. Yeah, um, inspirational. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Stu Gibson, that was a pretty impressive performance too. Can't leave Stu out. No, adding to the men, Stu Gibson. I mean, the the, the first year that he won was a was a tie between him and Andrew Lee. Um, that was that was amazing. They were trying to kill each other all day in a nice way, just competing. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> I think it was 20Ks out, they realised, we're, <laughs> we're going to hurt each other here. Let's just cross the line together. That was pretty special, seeing them cross the line. And, I, I mean, I've told Stu this, but whenever he turns up, he, he, he'll, he'll just turn up if he's ready to, to take it out. He's, he's amazing. And he did, he did come and do the 50 a couple of years ago and um, and a very, very, very good Nepalese runner and he battled it out um, and, and another runner and, and he came in second, but it was a sprint, a sprint finish again. It's always tight with Stu <laughs> at the finish line. And I said, Stu, what are you doing to us? And he said, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> he he manifests these tight finishes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, great, great competitor. Great competitor. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean such such the the key thing for me is that the these elite guys, well, I don't know if they'd like to be called elites. They're just, you know, they're just top fellas. They 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 run, they work, they they help. I mean, they, they often help out. They are so, they're so humble. They're so gracious and thankful. Um, yeah. And they're all the same. They're, they're just, it's a, it's an incredible group that that um, beauty just spreads through whether you're a back of the pack person that walks a bit, runs a bit, or you're leading the, leading the whole, the whole pack. Yeah. Agree. I've got um, got another question here from Scotty Hazelton. He wants to know if uh, UTA will ever have a miler. <laughs> no, well, not under my watch. <laughs> <laughs> I've said this a few times. It's it's we've looked at it, um, and when you take into account that there's a few things. Um, I feel like if we put a miler on, we'd only be taking away from the hundred and basically butchering from the hundred to put on, to have the same number of runners between the hundred mile and the hundred K. That's how I feel. I, I, I don't know how the Ironman guys feel about it, but I think they're fairly happy with the Tarawira, with the hundred miler at Tarawira. Um, Vaginal, the great, the great Vajan Armstrong, who we all know from New Zealand, he said to me once, as soon as you, like you've established this event with 100K as the pinnacle, as soon as you put on a 100 miler, you're basically telling everyone in the 100K they're not good enough. Um, and I thought that was pretty, pretty wise. After he said that, I thought, yeah, you're right. In Australia, 100K is enough. <laughs> yeah, you don't use miles anyway, Tom. No, nah, we don't use miles, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was just talking about Killian before, 
Um, were you mortally offended when he called your course flat after he won it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, he, he called it flat before he won it. Um, yeah. he, was, he was post... I, I, I didn't know this, but apparently he was saying, sending messages home that it was, he was carrying more gear than what he would up Everest and, and um, it was flat and fast. He, he hadn't run the first leg. Which, which from back then was Fairmont Resort through to, through to um, Naranek, and and that um, that hurt his legs a bit for the for the rest of the course. So he was he was at, after the end. He said, "Oh, it's a bit hillier than I thought," because I think that sort of slapped him, especially trying to chase Andrew Lee. <laughs> um, yeah. So no. It's all good. It is. I mean, this is flat. I just keep thinking how many people come in and say, oh, my God, that nearly killed me. That's so hilly and so many stairs. And, well, the stairs are another thing. But it, for a European, it is so flat. It's crazy. Yeah. But for us, it's for us Aussies who don't live on the bottom of massive mountains, it's, it's hilly. It's, it's quite hilly. Um, I mean, the comments I've seen... Um, 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 a few a few comments of people saying, you know, it's a it's a nice mix because you need to be all kinds of of quality in a run that that a good runner has. You have to be good a good runner on on flat fast stuff. You have to be good on stairs. You have to be good on on hills, downhills. Um, you have to smash your legs going down Kadumba and 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 keep going through. Yeah, I mean, John, John, o, John o. Lachlan, I'm pretty sure John O said that. Um, and, and actually, that's that was one of my last year when John O came. When John O, um, that was last year, wasn't it? I, I, now we're missing a year. <laughs> that was last year for sure. John O was second last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he was chasing the lead. And um, I mean, the um, Ma Ma Marek. Marek? Marek. Polish guy, maybe. Um, ah, sorry, I can't remember his first name. It's something like Marek. He was the loveliest guy. And here's, here's Jono. We're thinking, oh, my God, Jono's going to win this race. And, and good old Jono, he's always been there from the start. He's run every UTA, North Face 100 and UTA 100. And he's only been outside the top 10 um, I think it's only once. It might, it might be twice. I have to check, but it's, it's once or twice he's been outside the top ten, and and you know he's always been in there, and he's got better as he's got older. I think because he's, he's drinking less beer. I don't uh, think he is. <laughs> well, he tapers the beer off he, like right. once before, so he he actually you know he's it's amazing what a journey. It's been twelve or thirteen years, and Jono's. Jono's stronger now than he ever was. I've actually got a question from Jono O'Loughlin over the uh, <laughs> over the text line, funnily enough. He wants uh, to know, the tape seams and weight of the mandatory waterproof jacket, are they specifically designed to keep out the sweat, mud and tears during the rampant hugging behaviour at the UTA? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. 
I like that. I think he wants to know how tight your seams are because you seem to get so many hugs at the finish. <laughs> oh, that's so relevant. You have you 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 have seen what happens. Um, yeah, so <laughs> the the um, when Jono crosses the line, <laughs> I think I was saying last year that I got Jono'd. Or maybe it was the year before, because like, he was the first person I hugged at the finish line, pre-COVID, of course. And uh, and I ended up covered in Jono's sweat. <laughs> so every following person that I gave a hug to, they're like, oh, you're, you're wet. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've been Jono'd. <laughs> Everyone needs to get Jono'd. Yeah, we've been John O'd on the uh, on the podcast before. He was tremendous, mate. He's Great awesome. bloke. He's Great a place work. He's such a good guy. We've got another one from one of the uh, the top ten finishes last year from Scotty Richmond. Actually, oh, he wants to know how important is the idea of accessibility over exclusivity of the UTA race. And I think he's sort of talking specifically about cutoff times and and the length of those. Yep. So. Um, well, the cutoff times have always, always been um, made so that anyone can make it, unless they're really having a shocker. So, yeah, that that was from the first year. I always wanted, I didn't want a race where people could only do it if they were super fit. Um, I wanted it to be accessible to anyone that wanted to give it a go. So, if anyone's done, you know some training and can, you know, you can walk the whole way in any of the races and make, make all the cutoffs as long as you don't sit down for, for too long at each checkpoint and start taking it as a picnic because it's still a race. So, yeah, it's always been, yeah, the only reason anyone misses a cutoff, they've, they've done an ankle or, or, you know, they're just completely exhausted or they've forgotten to train, which happens. <clears throat> um, yeah, Scott Scott Richmond. He's he's another one. He keeps he keeps improving each year. He's amazing. He um, does. Yeah, there's a there's a great actually. That's that's one of my nice memories. Seeing him cross the line and 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 just his 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 son, who must have been I don't know four or something at the time. You know, just collapse on the ground with his son at the finish line. It's so cool. Um, yeah. Um, Talking about um, sitting down on the on the trails, yeah. have you got an official fastest and slowest time for the 951 steps up further? <laughs> I'd have to look What's through. discrepancy there? Yeah, I'd have to look through results, but um, we've got split times for many years on further. Um, in the 100 fastest time, I... I, I, I'm thinking it's around 14 minutes, but I can't. I'd, I'd have to check it. Um, and then considering that the well, my, I don't think it's 12. While we're talking, I can have a look at. Um, uh, 12. We'll go with 12. Go with 12. <laughs> it's pretty the slowest though. Like, can you consider that with the 951, the, the scenic world 951, which is just the race up up further steps. Nah. And nah, that's that's 
what's the record for that? It's it's Ben, isn't it? It's Benson Lawrence, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, Weapon. Turn to the shack. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The slowest uh, again. I'd have to look at results, but it would be forty. I'm thinking it's around forty-five. Wow. I'm pretty sure it doesn't go over an hour. Um, but 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 yeah, it's funny. <laughs> people people have stopped and had sleeps on further steps. In the hundred, like they'll get up to a bench, sit down, and then oh, a bit tired. I lie down. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gold. <laughs> good. I, I'm, I might go over to Abby at Precision Hydration for a quick chat. Hey, I'm with Abby with Precision Hydration. How are you going, Abby? I'm good, thank you, Matt. How are you? How are things there? Yeah, things are good. Just plodding away. Um, in fact, the, the topic I wanted to chat to you today is quite relevant and I wanted to ask you whether exercise weakens our immune system. So considering the current environment uh, and weaken immune systems, does does exercise weaken the immune system? I, I suppose it, it, it's dependent on duration and intensity. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you'd be right, Matt. That you know, you set me off on a good a good path there. Um, there's definitely this idea that exercise is immunosuppressive. This, this myth that kind of came out um, in the 1980s, 1990s. A few papers were, you know, drawing a link between mass participation, long duration races, and an increased infection rate. Um, but all they were doing in their studies was following up with runners after the race and saying, have you got any of these symptoms, you know, a cough, a runny nose, a sore throat, and lo and behold, a proportion of them did. But they weren't really looking into whether they were genuine infections or not, you know, they were self-report. So the likelihood is that that number was higher than, than reality, um, but it set this kind of seed in people's head that maybe exercise weakens our immune system. The good thing about those studies was it kind of drove further research into the, the area and then they started to look at, well, what's actually happening in the body then to cause that effect? And what they saw when they looked at the blood was the number of immune cells um, rapidly increase when we exercise. You get lots more circulating around the body, but then once exercise stops, they rapidly and substantially decrease and actually beyond where they start before exercise. So this was, you know, a really shocking finding because it was saw that they didn't return to baseline for, you know, anywhere between three and 72 hours. And that's what was kind of known then as this open window theory, this area whereby we're more susceptible to opportunistic infections post-exercise. But that finding we now know is probably misinterpreted in that those cells weren't lost or destroyed. They were actually just relocated in the body. So they were distributed to areas where the body felt it might need a bit more backup in a way. You know, so the lungs is a good example. You've just been exercising, you've increased your breathing rate, breathing depth. The likelihood of you in Hailing something infectious is greater. So the body is actually being very clever, like we know it is, and sending a bit more backup to them areas and 
it's the term is called immune surveillance. So our surveillance goes up. And so actually an acute bout of exercise is now considered pretty good for the immune system. You know, the, you're more on high alert post-exercise for infection. Um, but what you, you said about training load and intensity and duration must all be considered as well. And what you see with training load, although an acute bout of exercise might be um, pretty good for the immune system, if someone is overreaching and overstretching and, and basically undertaking a, an excessive training load, that's when it might be detrimental. So managing that training load is very important. Okay, because um, I suppose if, we, if we're talking about ultra-endurance ultra athletes, w would they be more susceptible because they are doing more duration, um, you know, longer training efforts? Yeah, quite possibly, um, because it's it's not the exercise per se that is going to weaken the immune system, but the, the factors around it. So things like, um, you know, low energy availability, glycogen depletion, dehydration, which all then factors the longer you're going for and the more training you're doing, uh, you're more susceptible to getting dehydrated or getting low on energy or not allowing adequate recovery time. You know, increased fatigue, all of them factors start to play a part. And so, yes, they would, you know, if someone's not sensible about it, they would definitely be more at risk of that. But it all comes back to good scheduling, good routine and, and good, you know, good practice, good overall practices. Um, there's no reason that someone shouldn't be able to undertake them things if they're doing it sensibly. Yeah, and, and plenty do. So what... What, what are some ways we can train and maintain a strong immune system? Yeah, um, well, I think managing training load is number one, as we've sort of already mentioned, making sure you're not doing too much. Sleep. Sleep is like the cornerstone of good recovery and long-term adaptation. So really making sleep a priority. Managing diet and hydration effectively lower energy availability is always linked to increased illness um, and infection risk. Um, monitoring any signs of overtraining. So looking out for changes in mood or reductions in performance, grouchiness, you know, keep a training diary, that kind of thing, recording how people are feeling. That's a good one if someone's working with a coach. Um, Managing psychological stress as well and anxiety. Stress, we often think of stress in exercise terms as like physical stress and damage that we're putting on the body. But, you know, psychological stress also plays a, a factor. So making sure you're allowing time to chill out. And, you know, if that's reading a book or taking yourself for a walk or seeing friends, making sure you factor all of those things into the picture as well and then the last one is you know slightly obvious but just through minimizing your exposure to infection so don't share water bottles and you know wash your hands think about perhaps when you're going to do your your like overreach session your high intensity session you know here in the uk don't go and jump on public transport immediately after that perhaps you know save that hard, that hard session for when 
you you know you've got your day off or something and, and you don't have to do that um all them little you know managing all them areas builds a, a big picture um of maintaining that immune system yeah there's some um some great tips there great advice and makes and like you're saying it's just common sense approach it's some yeah some some really good info there so um i really appreciate you giving us some ideas there and sharing that background we might we might leave it there thanks very much for your time abby really appreciate it thank you great to great to chat we'll catch up soon thanks see bye Matt. see ya. and we're back and i should also take this opportunity to go have a chat to sean at ranoa we're gonna chat to oh go down to sean go down to sean Chat, chat about he's going to do a shoe review on the brooks g'day sean how you going good matt how are you good it's nice to be back down at ranala always a pleasure to have you yeah you brought a bird into the shop mate <laughs> yeah mate there's plenty of birds down cronulla mall yeah yeah i'm not touching that, I'm not <laughs> touching that. this one's in a cage though yes yeah and uh mate we're talking about the brooks tempo hyperion tempo yeah i'm glad yeah. you said it i i forgot yeah. that brooks hyperion, hyperion tempo which yeah. is a lightweight responsive trainer uh, basically designed to keep you running faster for longer. It's it's just under the Hyperion Elite, which is their carbon shoe. Um, and so the Tempo doesn't have carbon plate in it. It's it's one just under the Elite. So it's a it's the midsole's made up of DNA Flash, which you've run in the Ghost, which yep. has DNA Loft, yep. which is a softer compound foam. Yep. Um, a lot of air particles through it. Um, you've also run in the Ricochet. We did a review on the Ricochet, which is DNA Amp. Yep. So it's got a li little more responsiveness to it. Yep. And this is now DNA Flash. Mm. So it's nitrogen infused. Yep. So they put that through the midsole and it's to give you a high level of adaptive energy return. Um, and it's still making the midsole really, really light. Yeah. Um, how did you find going from that the Flash obviously and then coming off the loft and the the dna amp did you did you feel a difference between the three yeah so and it's funny like i think like you you talk about you can notice the three differences yeah um so with um the ricochet i found them a bit harder and i, I yep. like more cushion yep and so this shoe has the right amount of cushion in yep. it because I, I like it I like a soft shoe yep and this feels really nice uh, like the Ghost, the Ghost has got probably more cushioning again. Yeah. Um, so this is a nice in between, and, and yeah. this is this feels a lot lighter than the Ghost. And that's that's the feedback has been. It's that in between. So it's it's got that feel of softness but responsiveness. Yeah. And yeah, it, maybe it is that the nitrogen. I mean, did you do chemistry at school? I didn't. No. No. I mean, I I often I looked it up. Like obviously. What they do, people often ask them when they come in the shop, well, what's, why did they inject nitrogen into the midsole? They apply heat to the liquid nitrogen uh, until it starts to transform into a gas. So they heat it up. As the nitrogen transforms from the liquid to the gas, millions of these little microscopic bubbles form and that they clamp together and provide a cell structure that gives the shoe then that midsole that energy return without adding any weight to the shoe so it's nice and light but mm. you're still getting that that energy return okay. so a little bit of chemistry yeah. lesson there wow yeah it's, uh, it's quite the detail yeah um but yeah it's a it's a really nice shoe i um i've been running sort of both road and, and trail mm. in them yeah and, you've um, said that you've like it's, it is a road shoe but you've said you've run trails 
Yeah, you know? I, I really like running on the trails. Okay, you know, it's, it's got, good yeah, to know. Yeah, so it's got a really good um, sole where you get plenty of grip on the trails. Uh, probably wouldn't wear it like where it was going to be slippery or yep. wet. But on dry trails, it's fine. Yeah. Um, plenty, plenty of grip. And being so light for the longer runs, it's really nice. I've found also that it doesn't feel you don't feel as tired after the run so yep. i think it's just that lighter shoe and maybe the return in the foam as well yeah well it's 207 grams yeah so it's pretty light the yep. midsole drop is eight mil so you're getting that still that little bit of a, a heel lift yep. um and yeah it's it's made for that mid distance long sort of tempo tempo runs which yep. it's, they say it's perfect for yeah well i would definitely use it um as a race shoe on trails because okay, it's, that's it's, good. It feels, yeah, it feels like a race shoe, like a, a road race shoe. Yeah. Um, but it's got the cushion and it's got the grip for the trails. So for me, I think it's the fastest shoe that I've got, or the lightest shoe that I've got that I wear on trails. Yeah. So if I had a race tomorrow, I'd be wearing, I'd be wearing those. Good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, on the trails. So a bit of both. Yeah. 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 I mean, the only negative thing I've sort of questioned is it is it's a and it's expensive shield it's 299 dollars yep um and look it's interesting to see you've got it linked to your strava to give us some feedback on how many kilometers you're going to get out of the shoe whether it's going to last that distance because for me i'm sort of value for money i like if i'm going to pay 300 dollars, i want to be getting 500 kilometers minimum out of a shoe yeah. for you know a, a racing racing tempo shoe yeah um so yeah that's the only negative sort of thing it, it is it's in that top end price range yeah um for a lot of people so if you are paying that i would want to be getting yeah that okay, value yeah. for value for money out of the, the kilometers so yeah it'd be interesting to get your feedback yeah uh, in a few weeks when you rack up a thousand kilometers yeah 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 well <laughs> Um, yeah, look, at the moment, you know, like, a, the, I don't know, may, maybe half a dozen runs yep. and uh, they still feel, you know, fresh and good. Yeah, new. So, I don't know, I've just got a feeling that they're going to last. Yeah, yeah. good. An inter- another uh, interesting question that um, I have been, or review I've looked at, is the nitrogen. Um, when it is cold, they've said the shoe does feel a little bit stiff. Oh, yeah. Because um, of the nitrogen. Oh, and yeah. when it is gets really really warm um it does become a little bit you know really soft softer underfoot so it'll be interesting to see if you take it for a few runs in the the warmer months yeah different different to to get your feedback so yeah yeah yeah. there you go interesting yeah but overall it's mate a great shoe yeah good colorway black black and blue Definitely, yeah, nice looking shoe. Yeah, nice looking shoe, and yeah, so come in, give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great shoe, I, I recommend it. Thanks for your time, mate. Good chat. Always, we'll always catch, a pleasure. We'll catch up soon. Okay. See ya. See ya. And we're back. Thanks, Sean. That was good. Like a pro would. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good. Yeah, good segues. Yeah, well done. Got a query about mandatory gear. I know you get sort of. You know, you, you, you answer this question quite regularly about which, you know, how much you need, blah, blah, blah. I heard recently that you had considered putting a couple of uh, house bricks in as mandatory gear kit um, <laughs> as a penalty. Did that ever come to fruition? No. We thought that was a great idea. Cause, so with the, with the, with the mandatory gear, um, 
people who were missing. It was always really tricky to go back after the race and, and go through a list of runners who were missing an item and just add a penalty later on. Often we'd get people saying, but no, that, that wasn't me. I had, I had the gear and I showed it, but they must have written the wrong number down. And in the end, like, I was thinking, unless I'm there for myself, I just can't. I don't know what's going on here, but it's not right. So we thought, you know, there's one way to do this and that's on the spot um, penalty and and not a time penalty. We want something so that people still crossing the crossing the line are finishing with their correct time and not having to add any time after. So we thought, oh, let's 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 make them carry five kilograms from um, from checkpoint three at six foot track up six foot track back to checkpoint four at Katoomba Aquatic Centre. Uh, what a tough idea, hey! That's that's, that's genius. Someone used Did to you call consider it. the fleece of shame, just putting like the biggest, warmest fleecy jacket on them for the next checkpoint. <laughs> Oh dear, I know it's um, it's a it's it's a funny one, manager gear. I mean, it's the amazing thing is with the manager gear. When we first started, I think I had no idea what trail runs did. I I I had no idea. We basically wrote it ourselves from from scratch, thinking this is what I think we need from a safety perspective, and um. And, you know, it was a bit of like, there was a little bit of a murmur of, oh, why are we carrying so much gear? And, um, and after, you know, one or two years, people are, are saying, oh, this mandatory gear is so needed. I, I would have died without it or, you know, and people are sticking up for it. So if they see, if they saw a little post saying, oh, why are we carrying this gear four years in? You know, the guys who've run it before go, no, no, you need it. It snowed last year or, you know. But I must say the last few years, apart from the wet year, it's been pretty warm. I think it was 23 degrees in the Megalong Valley um, a couple of years ago. And oh, it, mate, I've used every every part of it. I had to stop one year and, mate, within about five minutes, I'm shivering like crazy. So... Yeah. You need every piece of it for sure. It's yeah, yeah. The, and the key thing is it's for someone does an injury where they're stuck. Um, yeah. yeah, so no, it's good. And it has to be. It, we've always thought it has to be. So the front guys have to have the same as the back, back as the, the fast guys have to have the same as the slower guys, slower people um, to make it fair. Um, I mean, yeah. the, the event in October this year, if it could have gone ahead, and we were obviously going to do whatever we could to limit the pack because it would be hotter. Um, but it can snow in October. It can be bushfires in October. So <laughs> if it was going to be a warm day and, and not drop below eight degrees at night, we'd probably, and be clear, we probably would have ditched, you know, thermals and, you know, we would have, we would have, we would have looked closely into that hmm. all right a couple more listener questions from me this is from benny the pup 
So how long before May is too early to decide that I'm not up to the challenge of running 100Ks in the Blue Mountains? At least a week, you know, I reckon. Oh, yeah. A week. I think he was <laughs> six months. All right. Sorry, wrong answer. No, nah, depends, depends, uh, depends how fit he already is. If he's going off the couch, then maybe maybe six months. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a pretty rock climber, actually. Uh, yeah, I actually don't know. You guys would know that answer better than I do because <laughs> they've always had a base level. Um, yeah. and, and, and we used to have a thing in, in our adventure racing team, A-Rock, um, everyone knew we were famous for not doing a lot. Well, we had such an amazing background um, of sport that, you know, when we got into adventure racing, we kind of retired from a lot of sport. We just did fun stuff. And um, and so we'd, we'd, but we'd train up for a big event. So they called it the AROC anti, patented anti-taper. <laughs> we'd, go, we'd go really hard. We'd actually get fitter during each adventure race. It get much fitter during the race. Um, Impressive. This one comes in from uh, Rebecca Hadfield, who uh, we know, asks a lot of questions. Have you ever considered changing the date of UTA so that it doesn't fall on our daughter's birthday and we don't have to lie to her about her actual birth date for the next decade so my husband can write? <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, Rebecca, I, I, yeah, let's have that chat offline. Yeah, that's 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 a great question. <laughs> that actually happened yeah. in the last three years. <laughs> oh dear, the poor. Imagine that. Imagine getting the age of fifteen and being told, "Well, actually, your birthday is not the middle of May. Your birthday is the middle of May, <laughs> not not the middle of June." She'll find it. She'll find out one day. Yeah, I got a, um, an interesting one coming from uh, from Perisher actually. It relates to a race, I think it's called the Perisher Pub to Pub. Is it true that your wife, Alina, won the race several times and you were disqualified at the first pub for asking for a lemon squash? <laughs> no, it's not true. Well, part, it's partly true. Oh, my God. You've been doing some digging, Paul. That's very funny. Yeah, Alina won the Pub to Pub seven times. Um, that was a cross-country ski race from Smiggin Hole. Um, Smiggin Holes to Perisher and back, 5Ks, um, five middies of beer in that, in that time, four on the way and one at the finish. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I won it twice. It, it took, I think it was 17 minutes. So you still, and it used to get a 1,000 skiers, and, and, um, and you'd, you'd climb out of the hill at Smiggins and shoot across the flat to Perisher and climb up to Sundeck, have a beer there, down, straight downhill to the Valley Inn, which is now called the pub, I think, have a beer there, cross to the man from Snow River Hotel, have a beer there, back to the Elbow Room and have a beer there. So all that Perisher loop was, was three or four minutes. It was ridiculous. And, and um, I'd, never, I'd never had any alcohol ever in my life until the first year of the pub to pub when I got, oh, I don't know, I can't remember how old I was, 20, 19, 20. And um, I got to the first pub in the front and, I, and they brought out a beer and I said, like, can I have a water? <laughs> and they just looked at me and laughed. 
Ah, oh, dear. But I still never got the taste of beer. I don't like the stuff. It's all right. Fair enough. And Alina, when she finished, one of the years she finished, and Daryl Eastlake used to film it. He, oh, he, he was the commentator for, for the Wide Water Sports. Wide Water Sports used to cover it each year. And Alina's come down the final hill into Smiggins, grab the beer and you have to skull the last beer. And and the camera guys, I think they were just toying with her, but they, they said, oh, we missed that. Can you do that again? So she trumps up. Anyway, on the fifth go, she's gone up here. <laughs> Come down, grab the beer, and just go on us over <laughs> with the beer all over her. And that's the shot they showed on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. That's yeah. right. Who, who's told you about this, Paul? That's me. I've got a few little birdies out there. Don't worry about it, Tom. <laughs> Big research team. Uh, Mate, um, this is actual. This is a real question. Um, so you dispense with cups for last year's ultra trail. How important is that idea of sustainability to you for the event, mate? Ah, oh, it's just it's just the the whole picture of um, it comes back to our health is so related to the health of the environment, and like that's they're, they're, they're so linked. And, you know, the more we can do to, to look after the world, the better um, and, and be respectful of country. So, yeah, it's, if we can reduce, it's really hard in, a, in, a, in an event to, to reduce your waste. Um, but the cup thing was, was so simple and it was so well taken on. I mean, we weren't the first by any means to do it. Um, we you always got to consider is there going to be an outcry over what we're going to announce and i remember at a training camp one of the one of the squad run training camps um that i went to with with 40 people and i i said oh we're thinking of doing um bring your own cup and scrapping the cups is that going to upset anyone and every single person there said, it's going to upset us if you continue to provide cups. Like, we'd much rather bring our own. So that was a no-brainer that, but yeah. But, I mean, the sustainability is, sustainability is every, everything. We, we always clean up. Well, the, 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 the number one thing we stick by is we always leave Katoomba cleaner than we found it. Um, and all the trails. So we, in cleaning up the course, the sweeps, um, if they have time, pick up any rubbish they find on the track. Um, then fairly soon after in the high visitation areas around the clifftop tracks in Katoomba and Lura and Wentworth Falls, um, we'll have clearers going, doing a first run, taking off all the course markings, the, the tape and the arrows and crosses and also picking up any rubbish that's been left by the sweeps uh, or by, the, by, the, by any runners that the sweeps have missed. And then we'll have another, another run through. So we're basically doing three sweeps of, of everything because you just can't get it all with one, one go. Yeah, that's a lot of gear, out, a lot of stuff is put out. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's always been important. Yeah, really appreciate that that aspect of it. I think we all like to see the environment stay as pristine as possible. Yeah, um, 
and just overall, I, yeah, I certainly appreciate the event, UTA. I've, I've been around that at eight times in different sort of um, incarnations. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant atmosphere. And, yeah, I'll, I'll be back as long as my legs will carry me back. Um, Thanks, Paul. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be seeing an ultra pop up anytime soon in beautiful downtown Jindabyne. <laughs> now you're asking the hard questions. <laughs> no, not from me. Not from me. All right. I can't say much more than that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, there you really? go. <laughs> Exclusive uh, on running yeah. matters. There's nothing happening. Yeah, no, nothing's happening. I don't know. I um, yeah. I mean, the answer's no right now. In future, who knows? But I, I don't know. I don't know actually know if we we really want to do it. I mean, I look. It's been amazing working with the Ironman team, and and the first get together that we all had. Well, the only big one that I've been to, where all the New Zealand staff came across. Um, I had a big team day in Noosa we went up to and, and Dave asked me, Dave Beach asked me to speak at it and I looked around the room and I just came to the realisation that organising, event organisation is a young person's game and um, I mean, I'm 50, I'm 51 now and, you know, running around organising this stuff at 30, 35 is, is simple. You just keep doing it but it's... Um, you know, it just gets harder <laughs> to miss out on sleep and, and stuff. So, yeah, everyone, everyone in that room. I think I was the second old, so second. Um, there was one guy older, or two guys older, and then it was Alina, then me, and then Dave, who's just turned fifty, and you know, most of the people in their twenties. Yeah. All right. Well, um, great chatting with you, Tom, and, and we do appreciate it. And I know the listeners would, would really uh, get a lot out of this this chat. And um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a really really good hearing your story. So we'll stay in touch and uh, look forward to supporting your event in 2021. Thanks, man. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll speak and hear from you soon. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Thanks for all the great questions from the listeners. They're <laughs> uh, out there. Keep producing. Uh, we'll, 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 work, we'll work on... What was the name of the, the lady that asked about the, the, the birthday? For a it's daughter? my wife. Oh, <laughs> it's your wife. Oh, it's your daughter. Oh, that's gold. That's gold. <laughs> say say good day to um, Scotty Richmond when you talk to him. We will, mate. Yeah, and Jono. Jono, Jono did message me before the race and when it was postponed. No, he messaged me on, on, in May this year, 2020, when the race was meant to be on. And it was just something short to say, oh, I really miss you. <laughs> How nice is that? That's right. Yeah. He was neck deep in a VB at the, at the time, I'm That's sure. right. He was in the pub, but he really, really <laughs> missed running that day. <laughs> anyway. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Paul. Cool.